And we've kind of been out of a series, and we've been uh, just going through uh, a couple individual messages as we're gearing up for Easter, and we're just so excited about Easter and the opportunity uh, to get, uh, I know we're tucked away in a neighborhood here, but we're, we're trying to get the word out um, about what God's doing and um, spreading, spreading just the joy and the goodness of God throughout our community. So as we've been gearing up for Easter, uh, last week um, we shared a little bit about being all in, and this week I want to talk about um, who God is and his character as we dive into the scriptures this morning. And the title that I titled this morning's message with is actually uh, Barrier Breaker. Because here's what I believe this morning as we dive into the scriptures, as we talk about God, as we talk about who God is in his character, I just truly believe that Jesus himself is in the business of breaking down barriers that exist between him and his children. This morning I want to start us off with a question. Have you ever seen a big barrier before? Because I had a, a, an amazing opportunity uh, several years ago to get to see probably the largest barrier to ever exist in the world, which is the Great Wall of China. Now, uh, I have a couple pictures for us, and if you were here last week, you might say, Pastor, where are you in this picture? But yeah, I'm the guy with the dreadlocks, or the trying to have dreadlocks, in the back row in the black t-shirt. Um, if you were here last week, one of the things that I talked about about being all in was uh, I went all in and had dreadlocks for a season. Uh, as a white guy who uh, has really straight and fine hair, and it was a work in progress, so uh, you're blessed with the coolness to see my lifestyle during this season of my life. Um, this is actually me and our co-leader, Colleen, who helped lead the trip with me, and we got the opportunity to lead this uh, group of young adults on a missions trip to China, and uh, a missions trip in China uh, looks a lot differently because of a, being communist and being a closed country to the gospel, so we actually had so much opportunity just to meet with church leaders and meet with people and pray, so it was an amazing ministry, and all, obviously along the way, we got to go um, sightsee and see some pretty incredible things, including uh, the Great Wall of China, which... I mean, it just honestly it just can't be described in words how massive this barrier is. So I have a couple facts just to kind of give us an idea of the Great Wall of China. Um, this wall was constructed over 2,000 years ago, and it actually was built to protect China's northern boundary during all the various dynasties. Get this. It spans over 13,170 miles over 15 provinces and is the longest man-made structure in the world. Wow. You want to talk about a barrier, right? Uh, only 8% still physically stands today. Get that. Only 8% of it still stands. It's 25 feet high, and it ranges from 15 to 20 feet wide. The highest point of the Great Wall is in Beijing at Haida Mountain. That is 5,033 feet tall. So this, this location that we were at was actually that portion. It was the Beijing portion where literally it just like goes over a mountain. And you can see in the picture, it's like you see the, the little watchtowers along the way. And then eventually the wall just kind of disappears up the mountain and goes over the mountain. You know, it's like it's just absolutely unbelievable. You cannot you, you can't even see how far it goes because it just absolutely out of the out of your vision just goes over the mountain. I mean, this I'm like, as I was climbing this thing, first off, I was like, feels like I'm on the Stairmaster, right? Because these steps are like super high. Um, but I was like, somebody literally and physically built this. Like, literally. They actually said that the wheelbarrow was invented for people that were building, helped build the Great Wall of Ch China because they were trying to figure out a good way to, like, like transport, right, all the construction uh, equipment and all the different things that they were building it with. Um, watchtowers, which I referred to, were built at regular intervals and are over 10,000 total along the Great Wall. Get this, a million people died to build it. 
The mortar used to build the Great Wall was made of actual rice flour. It's really interesting, right? The Chinese invented the wheelbarrow, which I mentioned, and used it extensively. Several have scaled one length of the Great Wall because it is broken up into pieces. And there's actually five guys that attempted to do the Great Walk over 2,500 miles in October of the year 2000. And only one of them, a guy named Diego, lasted after nine months, and he ended up finishing in about 15 months. Wow. In 2007, two people spanned the longer length of the wall with 2,800 miles, um, which is the equivalent to about 100 nonstop marathons, and it took them six continuous months. I mean, you guys, what a massive barrier. But I want to get in our minds, in terms of like our human level of understanding what a massive barrier kind of looks like, or we put that into perspective and understand that Jesus is in the business of breaking down, no matter how big it is, no matter what the scope of it is on a human level, he's in the business of breaking down any barrier that gets in the way of him and his children. Amen this morning? So this morning, I just want to talk a little bit about maybe there's some barriers in front of our life. And I just truly believe it in this place that Jesus wants to break those barriers down. Jesus chooses to have relationship with each and every one of us. And we're going to talk about a little bit about the difference and the variety of barriers that Jesus breaks down in this place this morning. And here's what I know, too, is that I, I don't want to just cherry pick from the Bible this morning and pull a few good verses and say, like, that's who Jesus is. But what we're going to look at, we're going to look at a variety of different scriptures in different places and understand from the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, Genesis all the way to Revelation that God is in the business of breaking down barriers to get a hold of his children. Amen? So first and foremost this morning, I just want to share about Jesus and a scripture that I think kind of encapsulates the character of God as we kind of dive into all these different barriers this morning. And it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as the Apostle Paul's writing to the young pastor Timothy. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and in mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to the proper time. I love this verse for so many reasons because it talks about the mediator between God and man. Not a person, right? Not a priest. There's not anything on a human level that can become a mediator to get to God, but one man, the mediator, the Lord of over the earth, the Lord of all. Jesus came to break down the, this massive barrier that exists between God and humanity. Humanity In relationship, he became the one that broke down that massive barrier that created distance between us and God. And I love it because it also talks about time. This has now been witnessed to us at the proper time. And what this is referring to, talking about Jesus, before Jesus came to the earth, there was many, many books of the Bible in what we would call the Old Testament, Right? And in the early pages of Genesis, God decided to make an agreement in which we call a covenant with a man named Abraham. And this man, he made this promise that says, through you, the entire earth will be blessed. But hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of years pass by, and we don't see that fulfillment of the blessing to all come to pass until we understand it through the lens of Jesus coming to this earth, dying for our sins, dying for our mistakes, dying for our imperfections. I think sin can be such a stinging word sometimes that we talk about, but I love the way the Bible defines it. Sin is simply is the fact that we fall short of the glory of God. We are not God ourselves. 
We live this life understanding we are imperfect and there is brokenness in each and every one of us. And it comes in different shapes and different forms. But Jesus came just for that, to break down that barrier of our imperfection so that we can have relationship with him. It is him and it is only him and at the perfect time. And sometimes we don't understand God's timing. He came to do this and fulfill that promise that was given to Abraham in the days of old, in the early days of the Bible. So let's look at a few barriers as we kind of set the tone and understand that Jesus is in the business of barrier breaking. And the first barrier I want to talk about this morning is the barrier of rules. Jesus breaks down the barrier of rules. What do I mean by that? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it's very interesting. Jesus says something. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, God, what Jesus is referring to, he's referring to all these laws that existed for the people of God, the people of Israel, the people that followed God, God's nation that existed in the Old Testament that we read about leading kind of up to this time. We're talking about the Jewish race. We're talking about Jesus as a Jew, being born as a Jew, beginning to redefine the heart of God. Because here's what I know. There's certain groups of people that became really big rule and law followers, to a point that they abused it, they added to it, they took it on a human level, they made things so black and white that they used it in an abusive way against people to the, that lived on the fringes of society that maybe came from a different lineage. But it got to such an extreme way that God's law began to not display his heart in the way that humans began to abuse it. So Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to confront the ways that people have been abusing God's laws and God's ways. And he confronts it and he says in the scripture, he begins to redefine it. I'm going to redefine the law, this heavy law that people have been using and it's been abusing and it's been oppressing people to see clearly my heart. Jesus broke down the barrier of rules to get a hold of our hearts. And I think about rules in our day and age, and I can't help but think about what I would call pop Christianity. This subculture that kind of sometimes exists in Christianity. Because you read the Bible, and you don't see some of these things that many times Christians become and create a law book or a rule book for. And I'm not bashing on all, any of these things in terms of Christian subculture, but it's interesting to think about all of the things that Christians begin to do to kind of follow the law. Because it's like, well, this identifies me as a Christian. Maybe this, this Christian subculture that says, well, I can only watch Christian movies, or I can only shop at the Christian bookstore, or I, I can only listen to Christian radio stations, or I can only let my kids watch VeggieTales, or I can only eat at Chick-fil-A, right? Christian chicken. Are, are you catching, right? We, we start creating this Christian subculture, and we just create all these rules when it gets so distant away from God's actual heart, that he just wants relationship with us. He doesn't want us to be a product of Christian subculture. He doesn't want us to be pop, popular Christians. He actually wants to break down those rules that we try to create in this little Christian bubble. And he just simply wants to have relationship with us. You know, there's a pop Christian phrase that used to exist back in the day that went like this. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. Nobody knew it. Good. Great. Um, well, it's a phrase. And here's what I'll say is that's a product of Christian subculture. That's a product of what I would call being hand sanitizer Christians. The ones that take hand sanitizer, you know what I'm saying, flu season, we got a bottle in the back, come on somebody. But you're taking it and you're just rubbing it all over yourself to make yourself look good on the outside. Well, as long as I listen to the right music, as long as I watch the right movies, as long as I, it's just like you're just rubbing this and that, that's purity to you. 
But the way that God defines purity is he wants relationship. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. He doesn't hand you a bottle of hand sanitizer and give you a rule book and say, douse yourself up. But he simply says, you are good just the way you are. But let me begin to redefine your life because I am your creator. Let me begin to redefine your trajectory. Let me begin to inform every area of your life through relationship. Focusing on the outside rather than letting God transform us from the inside. You know, Jesus actually confronted the Pharisees with this entire idea. He's like, you guys are so good at washing everything on the outside. Kind of like fine china, you know what I mean? But on the inside, you guys are dying. So easily we can be those people, church. So easily we can be the people that convince ourselves to be hand sanitizer type Christians. But while all God is looking after, he's not looking after a rule book that you need to fulfill. He's just looking after your heart. And when you recognize his heart, you realize that his ways are greater. His encouragements are better. There's a greater life. You understand as your mind begins to get transformed because of his ways that his ways are superior and greater. But it has to transform our lens. And it isn't transformed by us doing ourselves up and following specific rules. When pop Christianity becomes the leading force, it can get us farther and farther and farther away from God's heart. Come on, somebody. But God has not called us to be those people. He's called us to get deep into relationship with him so we can be a pure reflection of him and his character is good. The Bible says that God desires us to have clean hands and a pure heart. We are to clothe ourselves with righteousness, but also, as the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. And in order to be people that are constantly filled with the Spirit, we got to be in relationship with the one who provides it. Amen? we got to have authentic relationships. So here's what I love. Jesus breaks down the barrier of rules. He breaks them down and he redefines them and says, I want you. I'm after you and your heart. Next, let's talk about a different barrier, the barrier of gender. I love this one. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Let's look at this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, so we got Mary and Martha, these two women, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So we got Mary taking this position at Jesus' feet, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work of myself? Tell her to help me. Verse 41, Jesus confronts Martha's expectations of Mary. He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Here's what we need to understand about this scripture, because this is a massive illustration and a massive barrier breaking down simply because of what's happening in this very scene in the biblical text. Because normal people would sit on chairs during a get-together while disciples, those who were learning to be trained for the purpose of training for the rabbi, would sit at the position of the feet of the rabbi. So the fact that Mary's taking a posture at the feet of Jesus would have been massive in terms of what was happening here, because this was a role that women were not permitted to take part in. There was no such thing as a woman who was a discipler or a learner from a rabbi during this time. So what we have here is a woman which is unheard of, taking a position that only disciples and learners were able to take. 
And Jesus, being a person who's welcoming her, and her in, does not say, get up. That's not a position for women. But what does he do? He affirms the position that Mary takes. Let's think about this for a second in terms of some of our gender constructs today. We have Martha who's in more of a kind of gender role of in the kitchen, hospitality, doing these things. And what does Jesus say? He says, wait a second. Get out of that construct and understand that this woman belongs at my feet, being taught, being poured into so that she may be a person who is sent out to fulfill her calling in life, a role that was forbidden by women at the time. This would have been shocking to most Jewish men. Mary disbanded a traditional woman role and chose to be a disciple of Jesus that Jesus highlights as being the most important. And here's what I'll say. As Jesus breaks down this barrier that existed, I'm encouraged by the fact that throughout our world, where Christianity has had about 100 years head start, you look at different countries, different jurisdictions, where God's message and hope has been spread and shared for 100 years in the same trajectory and in this, at the same rate we see women's rights and empowerment being at the same trajectory in the same pace. You see what I'm saying? We're saying when Christianity comes forth, we're realizing that in countries where many women are oppressed just to be women, where may, many women do not have many rights, in those countries where Christianity has birth force, we've seen those barriers be broken down in Jesus' name. There's something about the gospel. There's something about the hope that God gives and doesn't matter. Even in Joel, as he prophesied, doesn't matter. Men and women, my spirit will fall. And men and women, young and old, they will prophesy. They will speak forth. They will be my messengers. And I love it because we see that fulfillment happening in this very living room where Jesus allows that barrier to be broken down. If there's anybody in the name of God, I'm talking to you women in the room right now, who has used an oppressive stance to silence you as a woman who God wants to use, point them to this scripture and let them enlighten them in understanding that Jesus breaks down that barrier. Come on, somebody. Let the glass ceiling no longer exist for women who are told to be silent because Jesus is in the business of breaking down this barrier. Amen? Let's continue. Let's talk about the barrier of reputation. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. For Jesus to reach out his hand towards a man in this culture that many rejected. People who had diseases, people who were considered lepers, were people people stayed away from. In fact, when lepers would walk into a room that was filled with people that were quote-unquote pure, they were required to yell out, unclean, unclean, as lepers would walk into community, unclean. These were people that didn't have rights. These were people that people were scared to become impure by. But what do we have? The ministry of Jesus, and rather than Jesus rejecting this person, this person asks for Jesus' attention and care. And rather than rejecting and saying, no, you are unclean, what does he do? He reaches out and he heals them. Come on. I want us to understand this morning, there's a barrier for some of us of reputation. 
you think, I'm tarnished because of decisions I've made. I'm tarnished because of past mistakes. I'm tarnished with excuse after excuse after excuse. But this is what Jesus does. I don't care about your reputation, he says, but I see you for you really are. And I accept you, and I receive you, and I heal you, and I'm going to put your life back together. No matter how broken you feel, no matter how not done up you feel, Jesus says, I'm going to break the barrier of reputation down because you are my child. And I love you, and I pursue you. Come on, somebody, this morning, that God is in the business of breaking down barriers, even in terms of the reputation that sometimes we place on ourselves. The pressure that we place on ourselves because we find our identity more in mistakes or things we've done. But Jesus looks at us, He sees us, and He knows who we truly are. He understands we're royalty. And He's willing to pursue and chase after us. And break down any barrier, no matter what your reputation is, no matter where you find yourself today. If you feel like you're in the darkest season of your life, God wants to let some light shine in and begin redeeming that season and that situation. Amen? Jesus breaks down the barrier of reputation to touch you and make you clean. You are not untouchable. Because Jesus breaks down that barrier to come after you, to come after me. Amen? Let's talk about another barrier, the barrier of worship, the barrier of what worshiping God looks like. Mark chapter 15, verses 37 through 38, this is a moment as Jesus is up on the cross being crucified. That word crucifixion comes from the, the word excruciating, dying this excruciating death where literally he's drowning in the fluid because he doesn't have the strength in his feet to push himself up and he's literally dying. And choking on the fluid that's filling his lungs in excruciating pain. Dying, one of the most horrible ways to die during this time, right? And as he's being slain and murdered on a cross, it says this in the scripture, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, right? And for those of you who understand the Easter story, we understand that that last breath didn't just last there. It didn't end. Dead God, bye, see you later. No, we understand that Jesus rose again and people had an eyewitness account of seeing him Walking, talking, eating, living and existing in a heavenly body that God promises that we will have someday. But in this moment, something massive happens in verse 38. It says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What this symbolized is that the temple was this kind of geographical space where God's presence dwelt. We see throughout the early scriptures the people of God having the Ark of the Covenant, which represented and the presence of God always following geographically along. So they built a temple to house God in the, in the promised land. And we have this place, and we have Jerusalem, and we have this temple, this place that once a year there was different levels of the temple. And in the most sacred place in the temple, in the very center, there was this place called the Holy of Holies, where there was a veil. There was a thing, that, a sheet that blocked, right? And only this high priest, this one man, this human mediator that would go as a temporary person to sacrifice an animal for the sins of the people, there's all these rules, there's all these regulations that, that God had instilled within his people. But at the right time, we see Jesus dying on the cross as the solution to all of the world's problems. And the Bible says that that veil was split in two, meaning this, a symbolic gesture of God's presence being burst forth out of a geographical location. It changes worship forever. It changes the barrier. There was a formality of the Holy of Holies where priests would come in and he only had access. And it was the ultimate symbol of God's dwelling place. But we see as Jesus breathes his last breath, last breath, there's a barrier that gets broken. And God's presence begins to dwell in other places. 
as God promises in his scripture. It says our bodies become the ultimate symbol of God's dwelling place for his Holy Spirit. That rather than it being attached to a geographical holy of holies, now our bodies act as the holy of holies where God's presence chooses to dwell. Isn't that a great strategic game plan when you think about it? Like, God, you're not going to just be limited to one space, but we as his people will be filled with God's presence and power. We become the holy of holies to spread out and spread God's love and message throughout the earth. This is why one of our phrases and kind of our church motto that we remind ourselves of is to be the church and not a building. Because so easily we can get to a perspective of worship where we just think, well, only God comes into this space. Or only God comes when we come to the church, but we understand that the church is not a location because God took care of that when he died on the cross and his presence spread out. The church is not a building, but we have the opportunity to be his church. And I just want to speak into something that I think many times we can get convinced of and we can reduce the power and the understanding of who God is and what he's done because he broke this barrier down. There's, there's been a lot of kind of follow-up and kind of backlash in terms of some, some pretty horrific things that we've seen in our current events lately, one of those being violence existing within schools. And I, I continue just to see some people's responses in some of these things, and, and I get upset when I see certain things reduce God's power and his character and who he is. So there's a popular thing that's kind of been popping around the internet that says, Dear God, and you might have seen this before, why do you allow so much violence in our schools? And somebody responds back, Dear concerned student, God, I'm not allowed in schools. But here's what we need to understand. That reduces God down to a level where the formalities of prayer are the assumption of that's where God dwells. You know where God dwells? Each and every person who carries his spirit and his presence, it's not on the formality of prayer. Come on, somebody. But we need to understand that when we walk into the room and we carry God's presence, God is in the room. It will not be limited by jurisdiction. It will not be limited by rules and regulations. But God broke the veil. Worship changed. And no longer do we need to reduce God to a geographic location. But understand, we are the church. We carry his presence wherever we go. We are the changers. We are the ones that go out in the community, speak life, hope, and carry his message. That is a horrible theological perspective on who God is, and it's incorrect, and it is not the God that I worship or follow, because he broke the barrier that says God is in certain geographical locations, because he is not. He is carried by the message bearers and the ones who call upon his name, and we become that temple, and we become ones who move that temple and move it into our communities and our spaces and transform places for the goodness of God. It's, it's time we stop bearing responsibility and shoving it on other people and understand that God has given us the responsibility of people that carry the goodness of God wherever we go. That is our responsibility. And I get it. There's a lot of formalities in our culture. Where it's like, well, we need to have this. We need to have that. We need to have the Ten Commandments in the courtroom. We need to have blah, 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 blah. Toss every formality and understand that you as a person have responsibility to be a change maker because God has changed the game when it comes to worship. Man, when we start talking about God in such a way where we limit him and put him in a box, it's like we're going right back to before the veil was split in two. God, let me shove you back into the holy of holies. Let me shove you to a perspective where we don't even have that advantage and that benefit that you died for. But Jesus died to split that barrier in two to understand that worship should not be placed in a box. How many of you guys know worship isn't a time where we sing songs to God either? But it's a transformation that happens in our life. 
as our bodies, as the Bible says in Romans 12, we are living sacrifices. That is true worship, offering ourselves for the purposes and the plans of God. But sometimes as people that follow God, we, we kind of lean back on our humanity and we get to be kind of weenies, spiritual weenies. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I guess, you know, I don't really have the, well, it's, it's not allowed. I guess that doesn't bear any responsibility on my part. No, 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 no. Stop waiting on the formalities and understand you are the solution. It starts with you. It starts with the church being spread out and owning that it is the church, not a building and not a formality. Amen? The barrier has been broken when it comes to the way that we worship. Let's talk about another barrier. Here we go. The barrier of socioeconomics. We talked about this a little bit in our context. This is a barrier that exists even in our culture, in our city. The difference in the divide between rich or poor, the divide that exists in understanding that we have an opportunity in that to become a bridge. And let's look at the early church in Acts chapter 2. Love these verses. 42 through 47. They devoted themselves at the apostles' teaching. This is talking about the early church. And to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this. This is his church. This is one heart, one mind. When you look at this verse and you understand the socioeconomic aspect of the early church, socioeconomics didn't matter because the, the, the playing field was leveled. People were contributing. Here's what I love. We, we're coming off a Sunday where we look a lot like the early church in, some, in terms of our generosity. We're literally, we stepped up our game and said, hey, guess what? We believe that this life isn't about us and holding on to certain things that we deem as ours. We understand that we hold everything we have with an open hand, and we're saying we believe in the church of Jesus, following the call of Jesus to transform our community by the goodness of God. So we are called to be stewards and take what, what we raised, nearly $22,000, and I know that there's continuing to be a momentum and a wave of that, continue to come in to say this is a lump sum where we're going to steward this and we're going to use it for God's glory because we believe in ministering to people who are far from him. We have partaken, we have understood the goodness of God, and now we want to share that. Not the bad news of God, not the beat you over the head with the Bible type of thing, but an understanding that God meets people in practical ways on an everyday basis. That heaven intersects earth and the miraculous can break into the normal and the physical. And we get to be his image bearers and carriers of that message and that glory. Amen? And here's what's so interesting about our culture, I think, in terms of things that we see. You know, you ever seen the, the show Hoarders, right? The show Hoarders, it's people that, you know, kind of have hoarded things at their house, hoarded possessions, and the house is kind of left in a mess. It's like this kind of like... This diagnosis of saying, like, this is a problem that people have. And here's what I know. Hoarders who are disorganized, we consider it absolutely disgusting. But in our culture, if you're a hoarder who's organized, we, we, we think it's the greatest thing in the world. Actually, we, we chase after that. Because you can have tons and tons of stuff. And apparently, if it's disorganized, it's disgusting. But apparently, if it's all done up and nicely neat, it, we love it. In fact, we worship it in our culture. But here's what I want us to understand is our life is not our own. The church of Jesus set a new standard that it doesn't matter if you look done up or not, but we understand what we have is not our own, and we get to share and spread it and allow that to not only transform us as a family, 
but let it leak beyond the four walls of the church. Amen? One uses hand sanitizer all over, right? The other doesn't. But Jesus is always confronting the heart of the issue and breaking down those barriers so that he can get to his children. Amen? Next one. The barrier of exclusivity. This is a big one. We're going to look at a scripture in Acts 10 where the apostle Peter, right, this follower of Jesus, this kind of stubborn guy, right, the guy who denies Jesus when he's put on the spot, this guy who's kind of a failure, he's a work in progress, and Jesus allows him to be one of the leaders of his church. Really? These guys? The disciples? The people that Jesus chose? I just want to affirm that this morning, that you might be a person that you've disqualified yourself to think that God could use you. Take a look at the early church and the apostles. Understand that these people were completely imperfect, completely normal people, trying to live their life, trying to understand what a life with God looks like. And they did their best, but God was so gracious in the meantime. Peter is a product of that. But we see as, as the early church begins to spread that Jesus isn't in the business of keeping it in Jerusalem. Jerusalem isn't this holy geography that we worship, but he's saying Jerusalem is the starting point. As the presence of God bursts forth, he begins to see in the, in the early book of Acts, we begin to see the church and the message of Jesus spread forth. This isn't staying in one location, but I'm going to give you the strength that you need and you will be to spread out and spread this goodness and spread this hope. And one of those ways that God wanted to spread his hope was against it or to a different race. During this time, there was a lot of tension between the Jewish race, God's people, God's lineage, and those who are known as the Greeks or the Gentiles, anyone who was excluded from God's people, God's tribe. So one of the first things that God wants to do, he sends people out to be a minister to those people, to understand that God is fulfilling the heart of God through his rules and regulations. And what used to be defining as, this is all about me, this is the people of God, this is what we do, Jesus begins to break down that barrier of exclusivity. So we get to Acts chapter 10, and Peter's on a mission. Actually, God has him on a trajectory to be that message bearer to people that are different racially than he is. And it says, he saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. You see, God is redefining his heart towards mission. That, 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 that Peter's like, well, no, God, wait a second. I'm not allowed. There's certain rules and regulations that I'm not allowed. Jews had dietary restrictions, sacrificial offerings, festivals, special days. Men were required to be circumcised. All of these different things that defined them and who they were. They were exclusive but as God and Jesus comes in the flesh to redefine the ways to make them right once again, he begins to allow it to go burst forth through this racial exclusivity. Everyone who was a Jew looked, acted, and worked the same and represented on behalf of God for a season, right? And here's what I know. Culture itself isn't bad. But culture becomes bad when it becomes exclusive. Peter was a little... Can I say this? Racist. To resist that God could be going to places that he was unfamiliar. Going to reach a people group that said, well, they don't follow these things in this, this law. Jew, he was a resistant 
man towards the purposes of God going beyond his preference of race. And as we see, God presses and breaks down this barrier of exclusivity. He sends the Jews to the Gentiles, and God's people's holiness was transformed into mission to share the holiness that God can only bring. How many of you guys know that and understand that God's church is called to be in the same way that Jesus is to be the reconcilers? Where there is racial division, where there is tension, you know what God has called us to be? Once again, not just put God in a box, but understand that we get to be the solution. We get to be the redeemers, the reconcilers. We get to be the Peters that are resistant, that are scared, that are unfamiliar. But we need to own it and understand where there is division, where there is disunity, he has called us to be the answer and the solution. Because division and exclusivity and racial tension and division is not God's heart. And we need to own the responsibility that's been placed upon us to be redeemers and reconcilers in Jesus' name. Because he has broken down the barrier of exclusivity. I love a diverse church, and here's what I know about our church. When I see diversity expressed racially within our congregation, you know what I, I'm reminded of? What heaven's going to look like. We will always advocate for diversity because God is populating a diverse heaven. And if you think for a second that the place that you're headed is a place that has all of your cultural preferences, think again because God's culture transcends and breaks through the exclusivity that we have tried to create on this earth. We are called to be reconcilers and redeemers in Jesus' name because he has broken down the barrier of exclusivity. Amen? Let's keep going here. The barrier of conflict. Jesus breaks down the barrier of conflict. This is going to be the last one we're going to look at, and it kind of plays into this, this previous one we were looking at. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. One people group, one family, one church. The world is hostile. But God is bigger. There is a barrier of hostility that exists in our culture, but we have to understand, once again, that God is bigger. and We do not reduce him down to something that we've portrayed and created in our own human capacity because God's capacity goes beyond the things that we can see or know. Jesus unites us together, and the Holy Spirit himself, the spirit that God gave us, the same spirit that Raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says that he gives us as a promise. that When you become a follower of Jesus, when you acknowledge Jesus of Lord in your life, Jesus comes and his spirit comes to dwell among in you. His presence, once again, goes with you where you go, informs you, changes you, transforms you, gives direction, speaks in different ways to different people. For some people, that's the small chance of an audible voice. And others, it's a, it's a feeling and a sense that you get within your, your soul and your being in following God and having relationship with him. But a reflection of Jesus means that, once again, we have a chance to be the mediators. I get mad at people all the time. I'm imperfect. Sometimes P 
people aren't the subject of my love. But here's what I love. Jesus, we're a work in progress. There's no Christian who's ever made it. Because if we did, then we would be Jesus himself, right? So we live this life understanding there's always room for growth. There's always room to step forward. Nobody ever grows or gets beyond a season of growing. Nobody ever gets beyond a season of saying, I'm God all of a sudden, right? And a part of that is being able to be a mediator to things that don't reflect and reconcile the way that God has designed things to be. This side of heaven, God is allowing us to make cities, communities, relationships, our scope of influence to reflect and look more and more like heaven. We get to bear the responsibility of being the mediators because Jesus has broken down the barrier of conflict. And God's spirit provides all the unity we would ever need, but it it really is up to us. Are you going to join in with that unity that God provides? The responsibility falls back on us. God's going to do his thing. God's going to unite. God's continue to reconcile. God and his sovereignty is going to bring things back to the way that they're supposed to be, but are you willing to join God in that adventure? Are you willing to step in and be a part of the solution or sit back in the wings and criticize and critique when God has given us opportunities for his glory to shine? As things get worse, the reflection of Jesus gets brighter. Come on, somebody. So no matter how bad you've categorized the world, the state of the world, if this is the worst or whatever you want to say, you need to understand that as dark as it gets, the brighter Jesus' reflection shines. And he has allowed us to be vessels that shine that very reconciliation to others. Jesus is in the business of breaking down barriers. We're going to conclude with Galatians chapter 3. It says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation comes full circle when we understand that God's timing is not the same as ours. That God worked with what he was given with, didn't force his hand, didn't push people to be robotic, but worked, planted a seed in the early pages of Genesis, and as time progressed, and as a nation progressed, and as a nation multiplied, at just the right time, Jesus came to break down every barrier that was in the way of him getting to the heart of his people. We live in a day and age where barriers are broken down simply because Jesus wants to get a hold of your life and your heart. And he is a good God, and his character has never changed. And although the timing seems to be rather interesting, there was a seed that God promised in the early pages of the Bible in Genesis that all the earth will be blessed. And it's available for each and every one of us today because of Jesus. And that wave of grace and that multiplication, as we bear that, we get to see and continue to allow that promise of God to come true and to come forth on this earth. He has invited us to take on an adventure this side of heaven, to understand that he is the one that breaks down barriers, but we are also called to be the barrier breakers. God has called us this morning. So whatever barrier exists today between you and him, I believe this in all my heart, Jesus wants to break it down.
whatever that barrier looks like, Jesus is after removing it by his power, his grace, and his authority so that there can be authentic, full, genuine, and active relationship with him. Amen?